sin, harmatology, and we uh, are talking tonight, starting about the condition of a lost man. And, you know, when you talk about someone's condition, often you think of someone that's hospitalized, and you say, well, they're in stable condition, or they're in serious condition, or they're in critical condition. And, And we make a statement concerning that the condition of man is critical. A lost man, it's a critical condition that needs treatment. And without the proper treatment, it will result in spiritual death or separation from God. So we need to understand a little bit more about this. And today we're going to start by man's condition with respect to sin. Man's condition with respect to sin. And we'll start in the book of Romans, a passage that you're quite familiar with. Uh, And a lot of these passages we repeat over and over because they deal with the same subject, but they're seen in a little bit different light. And it's important as we understand the writing of Paul here in Romans, Paul talks a lot about uh, sin. And in verse number 23, he says, for all. And that's inclusive. That means every single person who's ever breathed a breath of air is a sinner. We are a sinner by nature and a sinner by choice. And I want you to understand that. And and because we're sinners, we fall short of the glory of God. The expectation of God is for perfection. But man, because of our sin, we fall short of perfection. Therefore, we can never meet the standard of a holy God. And because we can't meet the standard of a holy God, we are sinners. And in the the book of Romans, in chapter number 5, Paul continues talking about this very thing. In verse number 8, he says these words, But God. And, and he says, we're all sinners, but God. And you think about that. Because we're all sinners, we need someone to rescue us from our nature, from our sinful condition. And he says, we're all sinners, but God. Here's what God did. He demonstrated his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we needed an advocate for us, someone to stand in our place, someone to be the propitiation or to uh, take our sin nature, take our sin disease and cure us. And that took place upon the cross, the altar of Almighty God. And He gave us new hope. So we are a sinner, but God. And without that but God, we would still be in foul shape. And then in verse number 12, Paul continues on, and he talks about death and Adam, a life in Christ. And he said, Therefore, just as through one man sent into the world, who was that? Say it with me. Adam. Adam. Through, though, therefore, just as through one man sent into the world, that's Adam, and death through sin, so what his... What his uh, Uh, choice caused was death through sin because Adam is the father of all the living in the flesh and thus death it spread to all men because all sin think about it in the common uh, context of today now it didn't spread to all people but when we had this this global pandemic that started in 2019 really started 2020 here in the United States there there was fear because it would spread right and that spread was rapid, and that spread caused a lot of death. It didn't cause death in everyone, but that's a microcosm of what we see here because this sin caused death and infected every person, and because every person is infected without the cure, we shall all die. It's almost like what we see in John's Gospel when John points all the way back to the Old Testament when the children of Israel were coming through the wilderness, and they disobeyed God, and the serpents began to bite them, and they began to die, and the only way they could live was to look to that 
that serpent that was on a pole. And Jesus said, unless I am lifted up, guess what? And you look to me, you can't live. And as, as we think about our sin and our infection, then we have to have a cure, and the only cure is Christ's death upon the cross. So we are sinners, and that's man's condition. But secondly, we are born in sin. And we, as we go to the psalmist in chapter 51, David in chapter 51 of Psalms, and also in Psalm chapter 32, is, is talking about his illicit affair with Bathsheba. And uh, he tried to keep it silent, he tried to hide it. Nathan comes to him, and he tells this little parable about a sheep. This poor man had a sheep, and a rich man had a lot of sheep. And the poor man, the poor man's sheep, the rich man took, and David was furious. And then Nathan said to him, David, you are the man. You're the one who has done this very thing, and you are guilty. And because of that, David, King David felt he was being crushed. And as he's being crushed, he lost the joy of his salvation. He feels that his bones are being broken, and he cries out to God. And he said, as, as he's confessing his sin through that, he said, I didn't sin against Bathsheba. I sinned against you. Yes, I did, but primarily God, it was against you. And he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, don't misunderstand that. He's not indicating that... Uh, uh, intimate relationship within marriage is wrong. What he is saying is, I am a sinner by birth. I, it, the sin nature was passed along to me, and my sin nature is corrupt. This in deep, this deep infection, it infects my whole nature. And he's saying, because of that, I have a propensity to be led into sin. My my mind is working towards sin. My, my body then followed my mind into sin. And you know, that's where sin always starts. It doesn't start in the body, it starts in the mind. Everything starts in the mind, and it leads us to follow those actions or to come to the place where we say to God, God, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to strengthen me because my flesh is weak, my spirit is willing, so therefore I take the whole armor of God be able to stand against the wiles of the devil so I will not relent and succumb to this temptation that's drawing me away from you. And that's why Paul says, take control of the high places of the mind because the mind is where the battle is. That's where the battle is in all things. So we must, and, and you know, that's why Paul, Jesus, Jude, James, everyone talks about the mind. And the mind is where we win or lose the battle. But guess what? You win or lose the battle, not at that moment of temptation. You win or lose the battle by what you've done in the trenches prior to the temptation coming. And as we prepare for the temptation to come, because temptation will come, what you have to do is, is, is come to that place where you are filling your mind with the right stuff. And the right stuff is the Word of God. It's a scripture that strengthens us and prepares us for the battle. How do you think that Joseph was able to withstand the battles and temptations he went through in his life? I mean, it would have been so easy to relent and say, to Potiphar's wife, okay, nobody's here, nobody will know, we can get away with this, let's go. But, but instead, he'd already fought the battle. So therefore, what does he do? He runs from the temptation, he flees. And we must also prepare ourselves so when the temptation comes, it's not really a temptation. We turn and we run. So when temptations come, and don't debate it, run from it. Get away from it. Uh, temptations will come in your life. 
but because we all have this infection called sin. And even though you're a born-again believer in Christ, listen to me, if you don't feed yourself with the right things, you will fall back. You will. Now, I didn't say you'd lose your salvation. I said you'll fall back. It, it's almost like, okay, if you only eat sugar, you're not going to build muscle, right? How do you build muscle? You, you eat protein. What, is, what does Paul say? He says, listen, you've been on the milk of the Word. What you need to do is get on the meat of the Word. And by getting on the meat of the Word, guess what you do? You build strength. Not physical strength. I'm talking about spiritual strength. And that spiritual strength allows you to be strong when the temptation comes to say, I will not succumb to that. I will not surrender to that temptation. So man's condition with respect to sin, we are a sinner, we're born into sin, and we're also a child of disobedience. And as a child of disobedience, anybody ever had a child of disobedience? Everybody that's ever had a child has had a child of disobedience. I mean, that is part of raising a child. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, the apostle writes these words, in which you, all of us, once walked. Now, Paul uses this word walk, and he uses this word, you'll, you'll see it in his writings, a worthy walk. And a worthy walk in the Greek language is peripieto. And it means a walk in a straight line toward God. It means looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who the joy that set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. And it's a worthy walk. And a worthy walk is one... What you need, bub? I left my watch You left your watch in here. Where were you sitting? Somewhere in this Well, nobody's got it, so let's take a quick look. We are too, but that's okay. He's down on his knees, but I don't think he's praying. All right. It's probably not in here, bub. Yep. Well, nobody's been in here, bub. Let's pray that he can find his watch, okay? Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we do pray that uh, we'd be able to find this watch and be able to uh, uh, calm anxiety and stress. And Lord, we thank you that your grace is sufficient and you meet our needs. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in Christ's name. Amen. All right, and he's gone. All right. It's in his pocket. Kids. You know... Need a little comic relief, don't you? I mean, we're talking about a serious subject called sin. So guess what? All right. <laughs> yeah. Thank the Lord for those little beeps on your phone that tell you where your watch is. All right. It says, In which you once walked, all of us, according to the course of this world. Now, the course of this world, the pride of life, pride of the eyes, listen, and lust of the flesh. According to the prince of the power of the air, who's that? Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now, the sons of disobedience are those who are not in the kingdom of God yet, but he's saying, you once were that way, but because you are, the spirit is not working in you, controlling you, 
but you can be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God because you don't need to be drunk with wine, but you need to be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. And as you're filled with the Spirit of God, guess what you're going to do? You're going to fulfill not the lust of the flesh, but you're going to fulfill the desires of the Spirit of God within you. And then he says in chapter 5, verse 6, Let no one deceive you through empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. So what he's saying is so many people have, have been misled. And as he's talking about there in the Ephesian letter, he's saying there's this battle going on and, and this war that's going on. And some people are misled and being deceived by empty words, by philosophy. They're being deceived by, by false prophets. And uh, they are the sons of disobedience. And you need to turn to the true light because there's only two things. There's light and there's darkness. And uh, when you come to John's Gospel in the prologue of John's Gospel in verses 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, he said, he talks about light and darkness. And he talks about that the darkness cannot comprehend or overcome the light. Now, you think about it. If we were to have this room pitch black, all these windows and these doors blacked out, nothing on, this room was totally black, and I were to light a candle, where would your eyes be drawn? To the light. To the light. And the light, the darkness cannot overcome the light because light always shines in darkness. And that's a blessing that we need to understand. God gives us hope. And uh, we aren't to follow the course of this world and we aren't to live in sin. All right, let's go to the next, next uh, point. He is under sin's power and dominion. Under sin's power and dominion. Again, we go back to Romans chapter 3, and we read verse 9. And he said, What then? Are we better than they? Who's he talking about here? Well, we'll see. Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Now, who's he talking about there? Well, if you go back up to verse 2, which I don't have there, he, well, I'll just read verse 1 and 2. What advantage then has a Jew, or what? Is the prophet of circumcision, he asked. And Paul says, much in every way, chiefly because of them, to them, were committed the oracles of God. So what he's, he's contrasting the Jews and the Gentiles here, and basically he's saying, well, what advantage did the, did the Jews have? Well, they were the chosen race of God. But then he comes down and he said, what then? Are we better than they? Talking about, are we Jews? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Greeks and Jews that all are under sin. So basically saying the chosen race, but now we're all in this same melting pot, we are all under sin. And because we're all under sin, we all have the same condition and we're all, we all have the same need. And that need is to be freed from the condition that controls our life. And then in verse, uh, chapter 7 of verse 14 he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, we know the, the law is spiritual. The, the law is, is a fulfillment, and Christ came to fulfill the law, which we talked about last time that I was here. And if you need a, a verse to go back and memorize, go back and memorize Matthew 5, 17. And Matthew 5, 17 talks about that uh, Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So he didn't do away with it, but he fulfilled it. But Paul says, listen, because I am fleshly, I'm carnal, and I'm sold under sin. The law is spiritual, always has been, but me, I was born into sin, I'm sold under sin. Therefore, I need the spiritual side 
of this. So we go to Galatians 3.2. And in Galatians 3.2 he said, This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So he's saying, okay, now the law is good. But it, it, it never led anyone to righteousness. It only showed us our sins and our moral failures. But, he says this, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? No. But by hearing of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans ten seventeen. So, we know that, that that faith comes by hearing. And it says, how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they hear unless someone is called? So we know that our responsibility is to share the good news. And you say, well, I'm not a preacher, John. I I don't have a calling like you. Every one of us are preachers. We're all proclaimers of the good news. That's our desire. And that's God's desire for us is to share the good news. You say, well, I can't share it as eloquently as someone else. It doesn't matter. Share your testimony, what God's done in your life. Here's what I was. Here's what I am. And here's what changed that, the Lord. So, he's a slave to sin. And you know, that's, the word slave is an interesting word. Uh, there's a number of words in the, in the Greek language for slave, but one of the most popular is the word doulos. And the word doulos, uh, what ha- would happen, this person would become a slave, and, and I'm con- comparing and contrasting between a slave of sin and a slave of Christ. Uh, and the, the word bondservant is also, it comes from the word doulos. And you say, well, why, why bondservant and why slave? Why, why do you have these different words? Well, you have to understand, when you do translation, sometimes it's really difficult to get an exact word that translates from a different language. So you have to transliterate or do the very best you can. Sometimes that means just speaking it into the English language because of the word baptism. Uh, and, and the original Greek language is baptisto, and there was not a, trend, a word that translated, so they transliterated. They just spoke it into the English language. So the word do you lost? What would happen is this slave would be purchased by a slave owner. And this slave owner would be so good to that slave that at the end of their seven years or the period that they were going to be a slave to this owner, they would realize how good they had it with the slave owner. So they would go to the owner of the slave when they were about to be set free and they would, they would say this, I want you to make me a do you loss. And... The slave owner would say, okay, I'll do that. So they would take that slave, they would take to the corner post of a door, they would take his ear, pull it out, and they would take an awl and a hammer, and they would hit it, knocking a hole in the earlobe of that slave. So everywhere that slave would then go, they would know that that slave was a loss, and they would realize this, that slave is not necessarily a great slave, but that slave has a great master. So what we are, what that context is with Christ is, we have, we're not like, it's not like we're a perfect slave or bondservant of Christ, but we have a great master. And, and, and that's what it's indicating. For those who would see that, they would say, Wow, what a great master that slave has. So what we are as bond service, we need to, people need to say, Wow, he must have an incredible, or she must have an incredible master. Because Jesus is our master, he's our Lord, he's our Savior. Right? He's our all. And uh, so we're not a slave to sin when we become a Christ follower, but we are a slave to Christ. And the negative connotation should not be there when you consider the full meaning of that. Uh, we got a little more time. So let's look at uh, uh, being a slave to sin. We, we looked at John 8, 34. Let's look at Romans 6. I'm going to re- turn over there and read that. It'd be easier. Romans 6, starting verse 17 through verse 20. But God, 
be thanked. That though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That's, that's, that do you lost. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness. Why? Because of holiness. You should be holy as He is holy. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. Now, what he's saying is, when, when you were a slave to sin, listen, righteousness had no power over you. But when you become a follower of Christ, a slave of Christ, righteousness, holiness controls your life. And the more you submit to that, the more you want to, to, to bow down under that and be controlled by the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. So, we are a slave. We're going to be a slave. I know Bob Dylan, back in 1980, supposedly had a conversion. I'm not the judge here. But he wrote a song called, You Gotta Serve Somebody. You Gotta Serve. Anybody ever heard that song? Okay, You Gotta Serve Somebody. And, uh, uh, yeah, uh, my cohort back there has heard that song, uh, Sandy. But you got to serve somebody. You're going to either serve the Lord or you're going to serve God. You're going to serve somebody. And uh, people say, well, I don't serve anybody. Yes, you do. You're a servant to somebody. Uh, and and what's well, best to be a servant of the Lord. So man's condition, condition with respect to Satan is the next major topic that I want to, to look at quickly. And uh, our condition with respect to Satan. He's a child of the devil. In John's gospel, in chapter 8, verse 44, John was writing and he said these words. And he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. And he says this, You are of your father, the devil. Now, if somebody said that to you, what would you do? You'd be up in arms, right? Well, don't you expect they were? And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to murder Christ. And does not stand in the truth. John 8, 32 says what? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. You've heard that old adage, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And uh, if uh, you plant an apple tree, you're not going to get oranges, you're going to get apples. If you plant a liar, guess what you're going to get? Lies. Lies. Now, I don't know about you, but I can almost take anything other than a lie, can't you? I hate being told a lie. Because then once somebody tells you a lie, you don't ever know when they're telling the truth. But if you just tell the truth, guess what? People will forgive you. But if you lie, then you've lost all accountability. No, they just don't trust you any longer. Because when are you lying and when are you not? Well, a child of the devil is going to be a liar. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, it said, In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Here's how you, what you're known by, how you're known. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Now, that's pretty tough stuff right there, isn't it? I don't know about you, but even in your own biological family, sometimes it's hard to love your, bro, your blood relatives, isn't it? I mean, because they don't always do what you want them to do. or They don't always live like you want them to live. But listen, the way people know that we're followers of Christ is we love our brethren. We love the 
children of God. But whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So if you ever come across someone in church that's so cantankerous and bitter and censorious and evil and wicked and vindictive and all they do is talk negatively and condescendingly toward other believers, guess what you need to do? Depart yourself from that person. Saturate that place with your absence. Don't stay there. Don't hang out with that because you'll be drawn into that and pretty soon you'll find yourself doing exactly what you don't want to do. I remember the story. Mom can probably fill me in. My grandmother was in a Sunday school class years and years and years ago because she's been dead since 1992. And I don't know what year this was, but they were talking. Some of the members of the Sunday school class were talking negatively about another church member. And uh, Grandma didn't say a word. And finally, one of the ladies said, Well, Mabel, what do you think? And she said, She's my friend. Well, guess what happened to the rest of the conversation? Done. Done. So be careful. Don't be drawn into that because what you'll do is you'll start... Does that build up or does that tear down? How does that make you look? You look little. Right? Leave it alone. Don't go there. Don't get involved. Walk away. Because people want to draw you, and then they'll say, well, see, they're no different than I am. So that's how we know that a child of the devil with respect to Satan. He's a captive of Satan. Second Timothy tells us, 2.26, that they may come to their senses. And, and, and what, what, what Paul said, listen, I, the, those who are ensnared by the devil need to come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. In other words, his bidding. And, and what we need to do is come to our senses. And, 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 and before we knew Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And, and, and what we needed to do was be made alive in the newness of Christ. And that's why he says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, Behold... Anyone in Christ is a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. And we need to become a new creature because then we think differently, we see differently, we speak differently, we act differently, we walk differently, we respond to others differently. Everything about us changes and we're no longer the person that we used to be. Luke 4.18 Of course, this, is, this comes... Uh, from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, that's just not talking about those who are monetarily poor, but those who are poor in spirit, those who need to hear the word. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, those who have been deceived by Satan, and recovery of the sight to the blind, those who have the scales in their eyes, like the Apostle Paul when he went to the, on the road to Damascus. He was struck down and he went to the street called Strayed. And, and then the, the scales dropped from his eyes and he saw clearly to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Those who have been oppressed, he wants to give them freedom. And that's what Christ wants us to do in accordance with Satan, respect to Satan. He wants us not to be captives to Satan, but he wants us to be delivered from the prince of the power of the air and the prince of darkness. And he wants us to have life and life more abundantly. Uh, Let's go one more and we'll stop.
He's under Satan's power. Acts 26, verse 18. The writer of Acts, which is Luke, the physician who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, he says, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. In other words, those who are in darkness have now seen a great light when you read Matthew's Gospel. From darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now that last line, who are sanctified by faith in me is the key to the whole thing. If you want to have your eyes open to be turned from darkness and from the power of Satan and receive forgiveness and inheritance, you need to be sanctified by faith in Christ. And I don't I was in a preaching class probably in 1988, 89. I don't know. It's been a lifetime ago. And we had to, to preach on a particular passage. And the particular passage every single one of us had to preach on was Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 through 25. Uh, and it was my turn to preach. And, and you had professors out there and you had the students out there and you had some other faculty out there. And, and you know, they were writing down, you know, he did this, or he didn't do this or whatever and critiquing you. And... Uh, I said the word Jesus seven times in my sermon. And one of the critiques was, you said Jesus too much. And I thought about that. I thought, how can you say Jesus too much? And uh, I'll tell you one of the other words I used on Sunday. It's in the sermon that I've written up for Sunday, and you'll get a kick out of it. But uh, I thought, you know... I don't understand that, but okay, I'll, I'll take that critique. But you know, the one name that we can never say too much is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What does it say? Sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing. Everywhere I go. Amen. There's something about that name. That's right. That's right. Ephesians 2 2, we've already looked at, we'll look at it again. In which you want, we'll go ahead and look at it. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, whose spirit, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So, controlled by Satan. That's man's condition with respect to Satan. And the last verse is Colossians 1 13, which says, He has delivered us. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Man. That. Delivered, that's a powerful word, isn't it? He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Wow, I once was lost, but now I'm saved. Wow. That just, that just makes me want to break down and I can't sing, but amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Amen. It saved a wretch like me. Once was lost, but now I'm found. Mm. Isn't that good? That's what God has done for us. And when we begin to realize how bad we truly were and how good God has always been, it should make you want to thank Him all day, every day. Because apart from His grace, where would we be?
You know, we get to see some unfortunate situations here on a regular basis. Phyllis, you worked here with me for 10 years. and hear some heartbreaking stories from people that come in. And, and, and you look at their life, and, and some, you know, it's just been things have happened. But some have just made such bad choices in their life. Whether it be alcohol or drugs or, you know, whatever it is. And, and your heart breaks for them. But you see this, you see this uh, cyclical pattern that will continue, and it never ends. And, and, and you're like, how do you break the cycle? There's only one way, and that's Christ alone. But they, they say, well, I've tried that. No, you don't try it. You live it. You live it. People say to me all the time, well, I tried that. No, you, it's not like you, you, know, you tried a cigarette and said, well, I don't like it. That's not what it is, or... I, try, I, tried, uh, I tried to do this. No, you don't try. You commit. And this is my life. And this is who I am now. Because I'm a new creature in Christ. Leroy, remember the change in your life? I remember Leroy. It's okay to say this? You don't even know what I'm going to say, do you? <laughs> I don't have Facebook. My wife showed me. After Leroy was saved and baptized, he put up, on, on his uh, Facebook page, this is the best certificate I've ever gotten, and I've gotten a lot of certificates, certificates and it was your baptismal certificate. Do you remember that? One I'm most proud of. And, and when we follow Christ, guess what? It's not a hit and miss. It's I'm, I'm hitting. You've seen people that have come in and gone out, come in and gone out. Listen, there's staying power when you're in Christ. Amen? All right, I'm done preaching. Let's stand. I don't want to start over again because it's almost time to stop and I know you don't want to hear another sermon. But that doesn't mean I don't want to preach another one. Larry dismisses.